0: Good morning, everybody. How's it? How are you doing this morning? Good, 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 good. awesome. Hey, I want to. I want to ask a question, and I might regret asking this question. But think of the last thing that you purchased. Ethan's chuckling. What did you purchase last? A pack of candy. Good job, Ethan. All right. Anybody else want to volunteer that information? What was the last thing that you purchased? Anybody? Huh? Printer paper. That's exciting. Every, it's necessary. Yeah, Linda. Palisade peaches. Palisade peaches. That's that season, isn't it? Anybody else buy peaches recently? No? Oh, man, okay. Well, I've seen a few, a few stands. Amanda loves those. Um, anything else? What, else? what was the last thing you bought? Yep. Tickets to, the Tickets to the aquarium. That's exciting. Nice. What else? Yeah, Mark. Two drinks before a flight. Two drinks before a flight. You guys had a long flight. <laughs> they took a red eye out of Alaska to get back here yesterday. So... Awesome. How many of you have purchased something from Amazon recently? Okay, cool. A lot of hands. Awesome. Okay. So I don't know if you can relate with me on this, but I feel like it's gotten to a point where you can really find anything on Amazon. And I mean like anything. And that's the approach that I have sometimes when I look there. And I start to get frustrated when they don't have it. You realize, like, come on, if, they, if Amazon doesn't have it, where in the world could I find this particular item that I'm looking for? Sometimes it gets really specific with worship stuff on stage, too. There's, like, little random pieces of technology that I'm looking for. I'm like, Amazon has to have it. And I find myself getting upset physically <laughs> when it's not there. But this is kind of absurd. Like, I, 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 I caught myself this week, and I'm like, how have we gotten to this point in society <laughs> where I am upset that I can't find the exact item I want on this one seller's website. It's kinda interesting. Anywho, this has a point, I promise. Uh, <laughs> we're continuing our series through Psalm 19. We've called this the Word of God, and this, we're taking this psalm as a blueprint for us just to learn about the Word of God. What is the Word of God? What defines it, and how should we treat it? So I wanna invite you, as we've been doing all, uh, all series long, to stand with me as we read Psalm 19 verse seven through 14, and I'm gonna read from the NIV this time around. Uh, We've been encouraging different translations and reading this every single day throughout this series just to continue to get ourselves more familiar with it. But the, the NIV says this, "'The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. "'The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, "'making wise the simple. "'The precepts of the Lord are right, "'giving joy to the heart. "'The commands of the Lord are radiant, "'giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, and ho- than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. All right. So today we've been moving through these, uh, these verses in this psalm. And today our focus is Verse 10. Which says, they, the words of God, the instructions of the law, the laws of God, they are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So our word today is priceless. The word of God is priceless. When we see this psalm mentioned, you know, I don't know how many of us actually handle Real gold. I mean, I, I know what we we know it tastes, or we know what honey tastes like, but I don't know how many of us have handled real good gold, but he is saying God's words are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. So here's the thing about prices: there are there are prices on nearly everything today, right? We live in a very consumeristic society. If you want to buy something, chances are you can get it. Just depends on how much money you have. So I want to give you, I, I had a lot of fun this week just looking at some random things you could buy. I want to point you to a very fascinating website called privateislandsonline.com. Amy's nodding her head. You look at this website often? No? <laughs> you looking for an island? <laughs> All right. So uh, we have a picture of Pumpkin Key, which is currently for sale for $95 million. Pretty nice, right? If you, wanna, if you want your own private island, you can Buy it and this is a pretty fun one. I mean, it's probably expensive because there's already a compound there. I can't imagine what it's like to run utilities out there and plumbing and all, all that fun stuff, but anyway, you can buy it. You can buy an island. Uh, recently, it's all over the news. Jeff Bezos just flew to space just for fun. He wanted to. He, he's been actually, I didn't realize this, but he's been developing his own space program essentially since like 2004. He's been doing it for a long time, but he decided to fly to space and. He invited a few people with him, and one ticket actually was auctioned off for $28 million. So if you wanted to go to space with Jeff Bezos, you could, and it would have costed you $28 million. For whatever reason, that person backed out. I mean, it's a lot of money, <laughs> but you can buy it. There is a Hong Kong jeweler who spent $3.5 million building a bathroom made entirely of gold and precious jewels, including a 24-karat solid gold toilet. Okay, that one's a little bit strange. But if you want it, you can buy it. And then another fun one. This one's probably the most fun. Another website I'll point you to, exoticanimalsforsale.net. It's a real website, lots of real animals for sale. You can buy this wallaroo. This is, it's a wallaroo, I didn't know this. I think I might, I don't know, I might have forgotten. But it's a mix between a kangaroo and a wallaby. Right now, for sale for $6,000. You can buy it. It's legal, too, I think in Colorado, but anyway, everything has a price, it seems, right? There are prices on anything, and something is deemed worth that price. If someone's willing to pay for it, then that's how much it's worth. So at this point, we're talking about the Word of God, right? You may be thinking, Alex, I can buy a Bible. I can buy one. Like, it's not priceless. There's a purchase, like, I can buy one. They're kind of cheap, Yes, you can buy a copy, but what I want to emphasize this morning is the words on these pages, God's words are truly priceless. These cannot be bought. These cannot be owned. They belong to God, and he's given us access to his word. But if we take David's heart in the Psalms, basically what we can say is that God's word, his laws, his decrees, his instructions are worth more than a $95 million private island. They're worth more than a weird gold toilet. <laughs> They're worth more than, than the grandest things that we can purchase, that these words are worth more. The real question is: do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do we actually look at the words on these page, these pages, and feel And think to ourselves, wow, these are worth more than anything else that I've ever laid my eyes on in this world. That's the heart that David is communicating in this psalm, that God's word is priceless. It is worth so much more than gold, much pure gold. This verse also says that the word of God is sweeter than honey, which, again, honey is very accessible to us. You can just go buy it for a couple bucks at a store, right? Not that not that hard to get. But the idea, I love this idea, especially it was it's harder to get your hands on honey back in ancient times. But for us, right, most of these statements that we see in Psalm 19 are about the laws of God, the laws, your instructions, your decrees, that they are sweet. They're sweeter than honey. They're not bitter. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious how many of us in this room, myself included, have looked at the Bible at times, especially the laws, and have felt bitter toward them. David is flipping it on his head and saying the exact opposite. Your laws, your decrees are sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey that is dripping from the comb. I want to draw our, our attention to a few things, at least, uh, or I, I want to share a little bit about my week in, in the Bible. So I've been... Going through the Bible in a year, again, it's been a little while since I've done it, but I'm doing it through a new translation, through the NLT, and it's been really cool. This is a more accessible translation, it's a little bit easier to read, and especially in the Old Testament, it's been awesome. But um, when I think about David's heart saying, your words, your decrees, your laws, they're sweet. Um, It just so happened, I've been reading through Isaiah this week, and I just came across a few statements, I just wanna share this with you. The Bible is sweet because it gives us God's heart for us. In in, in, uh, Isaiah 43, Isaiah writes, he says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. A little bit further down, he says, you are precious to me. You are honored. I love you. He calls them their sons and daughters. In verse seven, he says, I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. We see God's heart all throughout. And if you can hear these words, Truly and let them sink into your heart. They're so sweet. They're not bitter. When we really boil down God's law and the entirety of the Bible, it's, it's all about his heart for us and for his creation. That's what it boils down to. It's not about a bunch of arbitrary rules and laws. like those, those are meant to be good, healthy boundaries for us to live the best life we possibly can and to live life with him. But the sweetness comes in God's heart that is all over these pages. And there's another piece in Isaiah 50 that I got to this week. In verse 13, if you're following along or writing notes, this is good stuff to hit, but it won't be on the screen. Isaiah 49, starting in verse 13, it says, Sing for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us, the Lord has forgotten us. How often do we feel like God's deserted us or forgotten us or is ignoring us? Then the response in verse 15 says, never, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. We see God's heart for us, it's beautiful is so unbelievably sweet, and that's what we come to when we come to this word. And yes, this can be a, a hard book to understand at times, right, but God's heart is all over these pages, especially when we read it holistically altogether. together. But here's the thing. David says that the Bible is valuable. We believe the Bible is valuable, I think, generally, um, but the reality is that the, the Bible is just not valuable to everybody. We live in a world that just doesn't value the Bible very much, right? And, and more often than not, I think, and I hear people talk about this book as if it's boring, outdated, wrong, it's filled with uh, myths or fairy tales. The, the people will very, are very quick to dismiss this book and just toss it aside. The world does not see this as valuable, but what they, they don't realize, they, they don't really know what this book is. So... I wanna show you guys something. Does anybody know what this is, other than the guitar players in the room? (laughs) Tanner's laughing, okay. So, yes, it's just a little black box. What if I told you that I spent $400 on this? Some of you in the room are like, what in the world does it do? It better be be pretty amazing to be worth $400, right? Mark's laughing, he knows. (laughs) not this one. (laughs) Mark builds his own pedals. He's, I mean, you got to teach me still. Uh, Anyway, I remember when I first bought this and I was so excited about it. And I would tell people that didn't know guitars or guitar pedals, my wife being one of them. And I think Brian even made fun of me too. He's like, you spent how much on this? Like, what does it do? They had no idea. And it kind of got me to second guess myself a little bit. Because all these people are like, what, what in the world? What? How could that possibly be worth that much money? But the guitar players know what this is. This is a phenomenal piece of technology. This is an amp modeler. And I'm gonna say some words that you probably don't know what it means. But this basically mimics guitar amps and it's got like three different amps built in, a bunch of calves, it's, it's unbelievably realistic. It's so, so cool. As yeah, Paul. <laughs> Whoa, okay. So I'm trying to convince you. But what I'm saying, though, is if you're not a guitar player, this might not mean much to you. This might not be very valuable to you. As a guitar player, you might look at this and be like, Whoa, that's pretty sweet. And that was the reac- reaction I got from like, Tanner, Mark, and Alan, some of the other guitar players in this church. They're like, oh, sweet, you got an iridium. That's what it's called, iridium. Um, and that, that encouraged me because I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a really cool piece of technology, and I get to use it and have fun with it. But I think in the same way... This book, the Bible, is valuable to Christians. But if you are not a Christ follower, if you do not believe in Jesus, and if you are not striving to follow him, this just doesn't mean very much to you. You might not even know what it is, but if you knew what this book was, it would change everything, right? And I think part of the problem for us as Christians is sometimes I think we listen too much to the voices that don't believe or follow Jesus. When we constantly listen and give our ears to people that either bash this book or point out that there are however many contradictions that are there that they can really expand on and, and, and exaggerate, when we listen to people that just diminish this and make fun of it and say that it's filled with fairy tales and myths, when we constantly listen to these messages, we can find ourselves believing them too much just like I started to second guess myself with that pedal. And I want to point out that that this book, we need to remember what this book is. And it's so helpful to have other people around us in our community, other Christians, other brothers and sisters that are reading this book, that are listening and hearing the voice of God, that are walking closely with Jesus in in their faith walk, that can encourage you and draw your attention and draw your awe to the things that God has said in these pages. I can't tell you how many times I have been inspired by someone else and what they've read in the Bible. And they share that with me, and I'm like, oh, no way, that's in here? I gotta go find that for myself. We need each other in that. And we need to understand that if someone does not follow Jesus or does not share our faith, we we, we can't allow them and their opinions of this book to influence us because they don't know what this is. They don't know what it means for this to be the actual words of God. It's priceless, it's invaluable. So I wanna ask us that question. Do we, do we know what this book is? Do we actually know what we hold in our hands? Do we need to be reminded? Do we need to spend some time in it again to realize how, to, how God speaks to us through these pages? I'll give you another fun illustration. So my dad did Storage Wars for a while, Um, not the show, but just for fun on his own. And one day he called me up and he was like, hey Alex, I think I found a broken children's guitar in a storage unit, are you interested? Or like, you know, should I just throw it away? I'm like, wait, hold on dad, let me look at it before you throw it away. (laughs) And sure enough, I showed up and this is what he had. It had one broken string and I picked it up. I'm like, dad, this is not a broken children's guitar. This is a really nice tenor ukulele with a single broken string. It takes takes like a dollar to fix. So he just let me have it. I'm like, oh, it's awesome. He had no idea what he had, right? I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament about Josiah. Is Josiah here this morning? Josiah, okay, well, tell him to listen to this because this is his namesake, right? So there's a story in the Old Testament that many of your Bibles might call Josiah's reform. So this can be found, we're not gonna have verses on the screen, but if you wanna follow along, this can be found in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23 in the Old Testament. So Josiah was a king of Judah after the split. Israel split into two. One became the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. Um, Israel was the name of one and Judah was the name of of the other and they kind of operated somewhat independently for a while. Josiah became the king in Judah at eight years old, which is, that's also just crazy. I can't believe that that was ever a practice to put people in a royal position when they were less than, I don't know, 15, 16, less than 30 probably. People are dumb until they're 30, sorry. Sorry if you're younger than that. I was dumb until about a year ago, so. Um, Sorry, you can take that up with me later. Anyway, Josiah comes into power at eight years old. And what we know, if, if you read through the whole story of this, you, you see that, that he is the grandson of a guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was described as the worst king in Judah's history, the absolute worst king. He sacrificed one of his sons to an idol named Molech, made up God, literally killed his son. He killed a lot of innocent people. He worshiped. Idols constantly led people astray. He uh, he was just a really, really very bad guy. (laughs) Manasseh. Josiah is his grandson. He comes into power when he is eight years old. And then in verse two of of chapter 22, it says, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from what was doing right, or or from doing what was right. So the, the... The miracle of Josiah's life, just to start, is at eight years old, and in his early life, he strives to follow God, even though every example he's probably ever seen has been someone who has vehemently walked away from God. Done the exact opposite. But Josiah puts his foot in the ground and says, no, I'm going to follow the Lord. And what we see in this story is he sends his secretary, named Shaphan, to go to the temple so Shaphan, if you can try to keep these names straight, sends Shaphan to the temple to find the priest, Hilkiah. And basically, is telling Hilkiah, okay, we need to ref, uh, do some renovations on the temple, right? I'm gonna follow Jesus, or not Jesus, I'm gonna follow the Lord, and we're gonna do some renovations in the temple. So he sends a secretary to find Hilkiah and says, hey, do you have all the money set straight? Okay, like hire the contractors, let, let's get this thing going. That's the, that's the whole goal of, of why Josiah sends Shaphan, But in the process, Hilkiah, this high priest, says to Shaphan, this is in verse eight, he says, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Isn't that where it's supposed to be? (laughs) What we see is, is somehow the book of the law got lost and it had probably been lost from Manasseh's reign. So this could be like upwards of 60 years that the book of the law was lost and Hilkiah, the high priest, stumbles on it in the temple and says, look, I found the book of the law. He's excited. And then he gives it to Shaphan, and Shaphan reads it, and then he goes back to the king, to, back to Josiah to report. He doesn't even mention the book of the law first. He, he mentions his original task. He says, okay, everything's good. We hired the contractors. They're starting the work. Everything looks in order. And then the Bible's really subtle sometimes when they tell stories. If you really slow down, sometimes these things will jump out at you, but in verse 10, it says, Shaphan also told the king. It's kind of like an afterthought. Oh, hey, by the way, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. He's not even specific. That You can kind of sense he is ignorant here. So, oh yeah, by the way, Hilkiah gave me this book. I don't really know what it is, but he, he told me it's important. I'll read it to you. So he reads it to the king, Josiah. He has no idea what it is. And then when Josiah hears these words, he tears his clothes in mourning in despair, and then he very, very quickly takes action and says, we have been sinning against the Lord. We have been breaking these laws. We did not know that these were here, but we gotta fix this immediately. And so he takes action. He assembles the entirety of Judah, all of, like everybody that lived in the nation of Judah, and assembles all of them there and reads the entire book of the law out loud to them, and then he renews his covenant to the Lord saying, I will follow you with all of my heart and soul. And he encourages and charges everybody in the nation to do the same, and they do. And then he spends the rest of his reign, the rest of his rule, trying to wipe out all of the idol worships, all of the, all of the idol worshiping, all of the altars, all of the names, all of the images. And he can't even do it in his whole lifetime. That's how many idols they were worshiping. But you see, Josiah knew what the book was. He knew that they were the words of God. Hilkiah knew. Shaphan didn't. He had no idea. The the whole nation of Judah had no idea. Can you imagine? This book was just sitting in a corner, probably collecting dust in the temple. It had been there the whole time, but people didn't value it, and so it found its way out of sight. God's own chosen people didn't value his word. They didn't value it. So I want to ask you again, and I hope you hear my heart. Whenever I ask questions like this, this is not to, to cause you to feel shame. This is stuff that I want to ask myself as well, but where's your Bible? Is it collecting dust in a corner? Have you forgotten it? Have you deemed your, your Bible... Invaluable to the point where it's just on a shelf somewhere and you haven't touched it in weeks or months or years. If that's the case, I just want to encourage you remember what this book is and come back, no matter how long it's been. I think one of the most important questions we will ever ask ourselves is what do we value? What do you value? What are your values? What what things do you value? What people do you value? There's no right or wrong answer here. I just want to help us to take inventory of our lives. If we look seriously at our lives, we can ask ourselves this question what do we value? What causes your heart to leap? What what excites you? Ooh, that was a little windy. <laughs> what excites you? What makes you feel safe or secure? What do you want or long to spend time doing? What do you depend on, day in and day out, to get you through a day for physical, emotional, or spiritual support? What habits or routines are predominant in your life? What do you value? And as you think about that, next ask yourself, where does Jesus and his word fit in your values? do we put our hope and trust in Jesus in his word or do we put it somewhere else? Do we put it in our money? Do we put it in our home? Do we put it in certain relationships? Where do we put our hope and our trust? Because the message consistently through his book is that Jesus is the only one worth putting our hope and our trust in. He is the only one that will not let us down. Ever. He is trustworthy, we can trust him. These words are trustworthy, we can trust them. Often I think that we as people, and I I, I see this in myself, we think that our things or our stuff or our money can do more than they are able to. Um, We're really excited, we're actually closing on a new house tomorrow, which is really exciting and really stressful, it's in Broomfield, so we're gonna be a little bit closer this way, we're really excited. yeah, it's stressful, but our sweet, sweet little four-year-old Teddy, out of the blue, on his own, decided, you know, we were telling him about the house, and he's like, he got really excited, and he said, oh, I will give you all of my money in my piggy bank to help you buy that house. It was so sweet, right? And he's done that before. Like, if ever, if we, we ever find ourselves in a moment where we just tell him, like, hey, Teddy, we just don't have the money for that. He's like, well, I've got lots of money. Like, let me go get it. It's my piggy bank. I'll give it all to you so you can buy this. And we're like, okay, it's really sweet, but your your money's not that valuable. (laughs) He's got a bunch of nickels and dimes and pennies. I don't think he has any corners because we keep taking those out to go play pinball. Um, (laughs) But his money's not that valuable. And it makes me think, you know, how often do we look at our money and our stuff and do we think that can satisfy me? If I just have this... I just get a little bit more money or if i just you know for me it's like if i just get that new guitar pedal or that new whatever it is that new toy i will feel satisfied if you've been there which i have we're putting way too much weight and hope in a thing that was never designed to satisfy you jesus is the only one that can satisfy you and if you put your hope in things in other people in money in and anything else that this world has to offer, if you put your hope and your trust there, it will fail you at some point. It just will. Because none of those things were designed to satisfy you like Jesus has said he can satisfy us. We have disordered treasures, disordered priorities, right? John Calvin is famous for saying that our hearts are fac- idle factories our hearts are idol factories. We just, we, we pump out idols as much as we can, right? If it's not one thing, we'll, we'll find ourselves, you know, worshiping is not something that we can necessarily relate to. We don't craft images anymore and bow down and worship, but we craft things that we put in front of ourselves, and we give our time, our affection, our love to, and that becomes our idol. It could be all sorts of things. It could be sports. It could be guitars. It could be money, it could be work, it could be another person, it even could be a spouse, it could be your kids. Those can all be idols. The problem is that they're not, they're, those things aren't invaluable, it's just that they're not more valuable than, than Jesus, than, than the Word. We've got to reorder our treasures. And when I really sit down and think about my life, you know, I've been a Christian for 15, 16 years, and I remember distinctly, and it's I've had a lot of different seasons in my faith. Um, some where I'm really in the word, where I feel like I'm hearing God's voice regularly, and I've had plenty of seasons where I just kinda go through the motions and I wrestle to get into this book. But I can tell you, like, I look back fondly on my first few years as a Christian because I, I lived in this book. I read it so much, and I listened to so many sermons, and I spent so much time praying. I grew so, so, so quickly in my faith. As a teenager, it was unbelievable. And I think back to those days and it's like, what what changed? There's a lot of things that want to steal your attention and your focus. And I think for us, we have to sit down and reflect on our priorities, reflect on our treasures and, and make a decision. Because for me, when I really sit down and think about my life, I want this book to be the most important thing to me. I want to spend so much of my time and my energy and my thoughts in this book. I want to be listening to this book. I want to be studying this book. I want to be hearing from God directly. That's what I want deeply. Now, I don't always live that out perfectly by any stretch of the means, but when I think about it, that is what I want my value to be. I want my chief value to be following Jesus and being completely sold out for his kingdom and seeing just what he will do in and through me and in this city, because Jesus Jesus is not content with a bunch of his children, right? Uh, Sons and daughters just coming to a building once a week, listening to some music and a message. That's not what Jesus came to die for. Jesus came to radically change everything, to bring salvation to people who were dead. Newsflash, we are dead apart from Jesus. It's not that we're, I mentioned this last week, but it's not about bringing, uh, it's not about helping bad people become good. It's about helping dead people come alive, right? Jesus came to radically change everything and there will come a day where he will recreate heaven and earth. He'll wipe everything away. He'll recreate everything and his kingdom will be so amazing and grand and there will be no more tear. There'll be no more hurt, no more suffering at all. That is his ultimate goal. It's not about coming to a building once a week. That excites me. I don't know about you, but that excites me that Jesus wants to radically change lives, help people to see how loved they are, to bring people into his family, his divine family. That's what I wanna live for. And I think that's what happens when we make this the most important voice in our life. We hear from Jesus, we let this lead us. We let him guide us. I want this book to be everything to me. So I wanna ask us again this question this morning. Can we strive as a people, as Rock Creek Church, can we strive to make the Bible the greatest treasure in our lives? We may not do it perfectly, but can that be our goal? Can this be the greatest treasure in our lives? Will that be your goal? Now, for me, I don't know about you, but the natural question might come of, well, okay, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you make this the most valuable thing in your life? How do you make this more valuable to you? Because I don't see this as being valuable. You might be there, and that's okay. So I want to give you a couple, um, couple things to think through. Uh, first, Matthew 6. Jesus said this from the, mouth, from the mouth of Jesus. He says in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that saying, that last saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because I think we assume it's gonna be flipped. We assume, okay, well, where your heart is, that's where your treasure, treasure will be, right? If I value something, then my life will follow. Jesus says it's the opposite. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So if you don't feel like the Bible is very valuable to you, one, it's okay. Two, you can choose to make it your treasure, Your you can choose to make it your treasure first, and then your heart will follow. You can think about it from this standpoint. We live, again, in a hyper-consumeristic society where it seems like so many people seem to value the same things. The American dream, which is you know, arguable how attainable that is for some, but. All that to say is like the American dream is this massive shared value, and a lot of it is around having a house and the same number of kids, and we put our hope in the same thing. It, that, that doesn't, it's not because our hearts all naturally go to that. It's because as a society, we've made that our treasure and our hearts have followed. So a couple practical ideas. Um, make time to read this book. Put it in your calendar. Literally make a date with Jesus. For those of you who are, who are married or, or, or dating or especially if those of you have kids, life is busy. Oftentimes we have two young kids. Oftentimes, if we want to go on a date, man and I, we've got to plan it in advance. We have to hire a babysitter, put it on our calendar and make sure that we set everything up so that we can just go out and be away and be together. right That doesn't just because it's not spontaneous doesn't mean it's any less valuable or any less meaningful. In in fact, I would argue that if you have to make, if you make the time and put that time aside, that's more valuable because you are saying, you're putting your foot in the ground saying, this is valuable to me so I will go out of my way to make sure it happens and not just wait for when it's convenient. So if you want to value the Bible more, make time for it. That might be really hard. Like I said, I've been trying to get back into reading this uh, the whole thing in a year, and the first month or so was hard, because I had to, my routine is I'm reading five chapters a day, knowing that I'm gonna miss a few few days a week, but five chapters a day, especially in some of the Old Testament books, I'm like it's it's it can be hard. But I can tell you, once I got past that first month, I look forward so much to getting my five chapters in. Sometimes I'll read double, sometimes I'll read 10 if I have the time. This is becoming more and more of a value to me in my life. It doesn't come easy, I'm not following my heart. I'm telling my heart this is where my treasure is. And my heart has been following. So make time for it. put in your calendar, make a date with Jesus. And then the other thing I would say encourage you to think about is maybe buy a new Bible. Um, this is one that I bought in college. It's a, this is an ESV translation. I love this one I if you buy a new Bible, buy one that you that you like to look at, that you like to feel, that, that is appealing. Like, that might seem like a small thing, but when anyway, you get a nice, fresh, new Bible that, that looks beautiful and it smells good and, and just looks, yeah, beautiful, it'll draw your heart more. And that's, that's exactly what this Bible did for me in college. I had an old, torn-up uh, NIV study Bible that, that did great for me then and I'll still go back to it at times but it was nice to come fresh to the word of God in a new way with a new translation and I got into this book so much more and then that's what this one's been for me this year Uh, Amanda got this for me as a Christmas present this is the the Jesus centered Bible Um, thanks to Alicia for really making this a craze in this church but same thing Uh, this is a it's it's a beautiful Bible it's got some new features it it it, goes out of its way to connect Jesus with the Old Testament, and it's a new translation, and I have loved it. So if, you, it's been, if it's been a while, I'd encourage you to buy a new Bible, do some research, and find one that you like, that you want to spend time in. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. (laughs) I don't know why I'm feeling a little emotional now. That kind of caught me off guard, but, man. The things that are most valuable in this world are worth giving everything for. Jesus' words himself, man, if you value something, if you value the kingdom of God, if you value him, his word, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to sacrifice to make that a reality? Because it it does often require you to, when you make time for something, when when you need to shift your priorities, it's gonna cost you something. Don't let anybody fool you. If you wanna follow Jesus, it's gonna cost you but it is so much better on the other side. This is the treasure that is worth more than anything we could possibly imagine. It's worth more than gold, it's sweeter than honey. That's what I want for me, that's what I would love to see more and more for for this church. I love this church, Um, and I know that God is so, so, his presence is so strong in this church and in the lives of, these, uh, of all of you. I, I am so thankful for all of you, but I know, I know that, that God is just getting started with us. There are some big things ahead of this church and for you personally as well. I wanna encourage you to make this word a priority in your life, if not the, the, the first priority in your life. Let's pray and then we'll continue to worship. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Help us to put our trust and our faith in you and you alone. We wouldn't stop playing around with the things that will let us down eventually, but but that that at the end of the day, we look to you as our ultimate source of security, of hope, of satisfaction. Help us to value your word more and more and more, we would live by it, that we would obey the words that you have given to us there, that we would hear your voice more, that we would build a deeper relationship with you, that we feel like we can talk with you about anything at any point of the day, that we can hear your voice. Lord, I thank you. Help us to be grateful for what you've given to us and help us to respond this morning in worship, lifting your name on high, knowing that you, are the one who created us, the one who formed us, the one who gave us our stories, that you're the one who saved us ultimately, and that your heart for us is one of pure, complete, unadulterated love and affection. We thank you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We pray all this in your holy and wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.